You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. We start our second hour here at Off the Beaten Path. I've got a special guest the second hour here, Mr. Charles, or we can call you yes, Chuck Carlson. He uh, maintains a website called We Hold These Truths. And you can go to the website after the show here. Please do so, whtt.org. He's got plenty of great articles on there and some great videos. There's one extra video I need to watch I didn't watch yet, and I will get to after the show. Chuck, um, you've got a, you got quite a mission here. I read your – I talked about your article last week, The Unholy Trinity for War, which it was a great article, by the way. Congratulations on that. Thank you. Um, you know, we talk about – the Federal Reserve, we understand the evils of central banking. We understand that they just pretty much print money out of thin air and then lend it back at you at interest here. But uh, understanding that we're we're talking about this evil entity here, the Federal Reserve of Central Banking, it's it's an evil entity to, pe- to keep countries either indebted or keep people indebted. And so we, we kind of uh, we hack at the, the branches of the evil here, but we, we should be hacking at the, the roots of the evil at the Fed itself. And uh, nothing has happened. Uh, Ron Paul is the only one who's ever talked about auditing the Fed, and they just kind of laughed at that because they're a private private entity. They don't have to answer to anybody, evidently. And uh, the corruption surrounding central banking, it is huge, like you said in the article, that they fund all the wars. Now, when I talked to you last time, last week, I was talking about, yes, you mentioned that they fund the wars. They fund both sides of the war. They're playing both sides against each other. They're capitalizing all the money they're making on war. And then the article did miss one point that I pointed out to you. You'll probably may want to put a little asterisk on that. But uh, it's the rebuilding phase after the wars are over. They're funding both sides again. It's kind of a double-dip situation here. You fund the wars, then you, fund re- then you fund the building of the country back up again on both sides. It's, uh, it's, it's endless money. It's endless money, Chuck. That's uh, it's true, Steve, and um, it's uh, rarely discussed that the purpose of the Federal Reserve, the most ostensible purpose that one can find by looking at it and examining what it's done, uh, is creation of war and funding of war. Uh, the, the people who work for and around the Federal Reserve Bank never mention the word war because they don't want us to realize that that is really what they do. But the Federal Reserve was created uh, only four years before the beginning of World War One, and it actually was created by people that had a very powerful uh, British influence behind them, uh, the big banking houses that had offices in London, and uh, uh, people who were imported from London actually put it together. And our purpose, uh, the purpose of World War One, was to save England from the rest of Europe. Uh, we went in and destroyed the rest of Europe with American money, uh, countries we had nothing against at all, uh, because the Federal Reserve was uh, created for the purpose of making sure that London uh, continued to be the, the Bank of England, continued to be the financial power of the world. Uh, and uh, then we took a 20-year rest, uh, but that was the last 20-year rest that we've ever had from war. Uh, before World War II, and what did we do? We went back into Europe, and again, we destroyed Europe all over again, again for the purposes of, of saving London. Uh, and if if we look carefully at what the what's the Federal Reserve has done time and time again, it has been, of course, the funding of all these wars. And, of course, as a result of that, our federal debts now uh, just uh, just exceeded $22 trillion dollars. This, these numbers are, are just beyond our understanding. Um, and uh, most of the cost, a, a major part, the biggest part of the cost of all that debt has been to pay for war and, as you said, to reconstruct uh, the, 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 the damage done by war afterward, uh, which money flows into the hands of the bankers who basically sponsor the Federal Reserve. Now, I know this sounds like I'm getting a long ways away from Christian Zionism, uh, but uh, we've realized for a long time that the people who keep uh, pushing us into these wars need to have support. They have to have a grassroots basis of support. And that's been done by this uh, this uh, building 
of the Christian Zionist movement to be uh, uh, ordinary Americans like our like our wives and some of our children uh, who are wrapped up in this movement and are, are taught that uh, whatever the state of Israel does uh, is uh, has to be acceptable to us. We cannot be opposed to it because it's godly. And, of course, what then leaders like Donald Trump do, our present and inhabitant of the White House, but not the only one uh, who's done this, is they appeal to those uh, to that Christian Zionist vote, that 60 or 70 million people. And, uh, and by the way, the, the president, our present president, is estimated to have received 82% of the vote of that faction called Christian Zionists. Um, and uh, and because of that, we have this this economic power entrenched, and of course, um, the 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 warring system then goes on as uh, as our president, war making president, um, is supported then by this faction. So it's a little circle here uh, between uh, the White House. Uh, this faction that supports uh, the White House called Christian Zionism, and of course, then the Federal Reserve, who provides all the money that's needed to make these wars by printing us into a, a financial obscurity and destruction. Yeah, I agree. Now, let's let's talk about some of the presidencies, past presidencies, and current. Now, I understand. I mean, the actions speak louder than words, but. I just assumed when uh, Trump is very pro-Israel, no doubt about it. I realized that when I saw him give away Jer- Jerusalem to the Israelis. Basically, it was a shared city between the Palestinians and the Israelis to give control to of the holy city strictly to uh, to Israel. I knew right away we were in trouble. We had a president that was owned. It was on a, a short leash by Benjamin Netanyahu. Um, that seems to be a pattern. It doesn't seem to matter who's actually in the Oval Office, Chuck. It seems to be it doesn't matter. The leash from Israel is a very short leash, and it's very tight. And uh, I guess the bottom line is what angers me, upsets me, is you're, you're, you're absolutely right. You've got 70 million followers of Christian Zionists in this country who are voting to keep people like this, uh, put them in office to basically be the stepchild or whatever to the master Israel here, and so I guess the question is: I ask us, how can we how can we break the chain, Chuck? How can we break the chain? Well, that's that was the purpose for which we started our little organization called We Hold These Truths. After I got home from Gaza in two o two, and decided and asked it myself that same question: What can be done to change this? And I realized it would be a very slow, uh, a, a very slow and uh, difficult effort. But what we need to do is we need to change those Christian Zionist voters to where they see that uh, they need to put America first and they need to put our finances and our money first, our children's future first. And they need to understand that the state of Israel is not the fulfillment of the prophecies of the Bible, that the state of Israel is uh, a namesake uh, by a bunch of Europeans that went to Israel in 1948 and grabbed the land and picked a name out of thin air. By the way, the the founder of the founding uh, father of the state of Israel, Theodore Herzl, who worked uh, spent his whole life trying to get uh, the state of Israel created, uh, had no dream of calling it Israel. He wanted to call it the Jewish state. But uh, of course, the uh, people that were thinking about how to sustain it realized that they needed to tie it to the Bible. So they went back and grabbed the name Israel and called it Israel. Uh, that's how Palestine became Israel, uh, is that, that the backers saw the value of the name. They could then attach it to the Bible and try to get Christians to support it. And that's exactly what they've done. So our effort has been to uh, educate. Uh, and uh, we realized that... Uh, uh, that uh, more than half of the Christian people go to churches that are not Zionist in nature. They don't believe in Christian Zionism. And this even, even includes the Roman Catholics as well as 
many of the Protestant, the, the traditional Protestant churches. Uh, and, and we believe that we need to keep reminding these people that they need to support the, the truths of Christianity, of Christ, um, ahead of the, the whims and desires of the state of Israel. And they need to understand it. And all these churches are under attack. There's efforts to actually influence them to go along with the Zionist agenda. So if you're a, if you're a traditional Lutheran or Presbyterian or go to a Methodist church uh, or a Church of Christ, uh, there will be an, influ- uh, an effort to influence those churches toward Zionism, toward accepting Zionism. And it's very organized and it's going on at a national level to influence individual local churches like the one that you you and I go to. You know, Chuck, I've been on my share of anti-war protests, which um, really had little impact, unfortunately, un- unlike the protest of the, the Vietnam era. But I, I ask myself, what's going on here? Because uh, President Trump waived the, uh, the 501c3 as far as political speech goes. You're able to now talk from the pulpit and uh, talk about uh, political matters and politics and educate people, because that's actually where it used to start from the very beginning. You know, we learned a lot at church back in the days of of uh, politics and our leaders and what they stood for and what their policies might be. Uh, but we're still seeing the churches are stifled in their speech to stand up and say, condemn these wars. I guess my question to you is, why? What's What's happening here? Why are these churches have been stifled in their speech to, to condemn these needless wars that we continue to get ourselves in? Well, our churches have gotten lazy, for one thing. Uh, leaders have gotten lazy. It's become pretty social. Uh, but also, uh, as I said, there is this influence to, uh, to uh, bend traditional Christian churches, uh, such as the, the, the mainline churches I mentioned, um, uh, to fear Israel and to believe that Israel is holy, and therefore it must be treated as holy. And this is what Zionism is all about, attempting to change uh, church, ch- churches at, 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 uh, at basic uh, home levels. Um, a lot of the, the mainline churches actually have Bible studies going on in their basement or uh, in a borrowed room on weekends, by major uh, Bible study groups that are uh, as radically Zionist as are the most uh, fanatical Jerry Falwell-type churches. And uh, this is actually going on. Uh, there's, we can name names and, and, uh, uh, of, uh, of groups and organizations that do this. So uh, there, there's a constant effort to build this Zionist idea. And then, of course, what you're seeing when you talk about our present president getting up in front of uh, of uh, getting on national TV and coming out for something like, for instance, he recently come out came out and said that he was opposed to late term abortion. Well, uh, of course, uh, opposing abortion has been something traditional in Christianity, uh, and uh, late term abortion is uh, is just a small part of it. But what, what what our president was doing is he was actually making an appeal. That was an appeal to the Christian Zionist movement saying, see, I'm with you. This is your issue, and I'm with, you can count on me on this issue. I'm along with you. Uh, the, the idea of, uh, of, uh, uh, of, of the treatment and the love of the state of Israel is something that is mentioned constantly, and uh, I, I believe that uh, that uh, that Mr. Trump um, is interested in the state of Israel because uh, if he shows himself to be sufficiently in love with the state of Israel and does things that seem to be very pro-Israel, he will keep that seventy, <clears throat> excuse me, that seventy million or sixty million uh, voter uh, block on his side. Uh, that block of people who call themselves Christian Zionists. I, I believe that this, uh, these words that we hear that are coming from the White House that are so loving and uh, friendly toward the political state of Israel are nothing more than, uh, than uh, a play to the Christ, that Christian Zionist vote. 
uh, to, to sustain that Christian Zionist vote on his side. And it works. Uh, they talk about it all the time. Right, right. You know, I'm, I'm wondering, why is, um, what, what are the methods being used on Donald Trump here to keep him compliant uh, to Israel's demands? What do you think is going on there? Is this a, is this a security thing? Is it a blackmail thing? What's going on here? I mean, he certainly has a choice to whether say, no, I, I will go long or I'll go long. And he has chosen the pathway to be pro-Israel all the way, more so than Obama was. Um, yeah. Is there is there a security issue here we're looking at? What, what's 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 going on behind the scenes here? Well, I don't know if he's afraid of being gunned down uh, uh, if he if he if he goes against Israel. Uh, but I'm more inclined to think that he simply is uh, is playing up to the Christian Zionist vote. He wants to keep it on his side, and he realizes he's running for re-election again. In another year or so, he'll be running. And he wants to be sure to to keep that vote. And so uh, he knows that uh, as long as he is sufficiently pro-Israel, the Christian Zionist bloc will support him. They essentially feel that the state of Israel is the fulfillment of biblical prophecy, and you must love and respect it as a political entity uh, if if you are uh, to be favored by God. Now, Chuck, we've seen over the last five years uh, a war on Christmas. You probably witnessed that war on religion in general here in, in this country. Are we looking at a phase-out of religion unless it's Christian Zionism? or evangelical, uh, evangelical. Is, are we looking at a phasing out unless you're a good part of this group here? Are we looking at a phasing out? Well, I, I think we need to, uh, our, our own group uh, is, is committed to trying to go back and reach the old mainline churches uh, that are uh, so basic and fundamental in our country and that, that are not affected by this distortion called Christian Zionism uh, we think they need an awakening, and they need a purpose. And, uh, of course, they have a purpose, which is Jesus Christ, uh, they say, but they, they they need to see where this is being challenged politically and in in uh, in, in all of these wars. So we, we, we think our message really needs to be taken uh, first to the mainline churches, even to the Roman Catholic Church to show them that they need to get involved and they need to stay involved and that our, they, they need to also understand the financial aspects of continuous war and where that's going to leave their children and grandchildren. Uh, they uh, have been deceived uh, as to what the Federal Reserve does and how it's put us $22 trillion in debt. And uh, they've been, uh, they've had their, uh, their vision distorted by uh, uh, by false leadership and uh, uh, by the media, of course, and by politicians. Right. So uh, we, we we really think that that the churches are our hope. Uh, they they don't act like it sometimes, but we really think that that's where we have sixty or seventy million people who can wake up. And so, so uh, that's our our effort is devoted to trying to help them to understand uh, the nature of Christian Zionism and how it's being abused in so many ways, including financially. I just happen to have a financial background. It was something I did when I was young. Uh, I was on Wall Street uh, when John F. Kennedy was shot. The day he was shot, I was there at the New York Stock Exchange. And uh, I began to realize after that that... uh, that the manipulation and control of the financial markets uh, were part of what's uh, what's destroying our country, especially through uh, through the wars that are, are uh, constant and are being planned right now. So we have war planning going on right ahead of us. It isn't over. The plan is is, is Iran. Uh, the, the 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 far the far focus is even on Russia. Right. Uh, we have very hostile things being said about. Iran and Russia and Syria, uh, remaining uh, the remaining countries in the Middle East that haven't been destroyed and taken over and uh, commandeered for their oil. Uh, and uh, church people are capable of understanding this uh, if, if, they're, if, if there is an awakening. Um, I want to say that we're optimistic because we think 
the destruction of our financial system that's been going on is going to awaken people. We don't think they can ignore it much longer. And when they start looking for causes and reasons, we believe that we could have a movement within the, the church movement that would make change pretty fast. Right. Uh, we believe that that structure is really important and that the value of these churches is there. We also think the Christian Zionist churches can change. Most of the people who follow our movement and who talk to us have been involved in Christian Zionism and have seen through it. So it's very slow, and the numbers that change naturally are one at a time. But uh, uh, we are optimistic that through uh, the structure of following Christ, of, uh, of Christianity, uh, that we can have change, and there still is hope of, of saving our country. Right. Your uh, video touched on it just a smidgen towards the very end there, talked about Iran, uh, war in Iran. And we saw this last week, Mike Pence was uh, trying to stir up some trouble with the Iranophobia. Um, wipe Israel off the map. Aminajad never said that. The words were twisted. But uh, they're once again beating a war drum on Iran, no doubt about it. I can see this happening. This is, uh, so I guess your video basically says this is biblical prophecy that Iran is part of the equation also. Um, I guess in what way What way is Iran part of the biblical biblical prophecy for Israel? Well, uh, there is no real attachment that we see in scriptures. We don't see where there's any reason that, uh, that America has to be involved in stealing the oil from the Middle East. Mm-hmm. And uh, what, we, what we do see is after World War II, uh, the... the, the the, the financial leaders that run the Federal Reserve and run the power structure and finance World War II looked around and they saw the Middle East was the great oil fields, uh, the great, uh, it, it, actually, it, actually, it actually funded the war, uh, the, 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 East, East, uh, the, the oil coming out of Iraq and Iran uh, were very important in World War II. And uh, so, uh, well, uh, the, the Middle East became a political target or a financial target, and we don't think it has anything to do with uh, with with religion, as far as the people that actually have funded these wars in in the Middle East. Uh, we think that it's just used as an excuse to influence Christians to uh, support what's going on there, and uh, and and. Uh, 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 Iran is just the last big one left. Right. Everything else has been knocked over. Libya, uh, Iraq, uh, the, these major oil producers have uh, have been have been destroyed and politically destroyed and uh, taken over by uh, the the economic banking powers. And so we just think it's more, that that uh, that Iran is a further target. Uh, but but more important, perhaps, than that, to the people who create the wars and fund the wars, is they need another war. Right. Uh, they uh, we have reached a place where we can't go very long between wars before the economy starts to crumble. Exactly. And they jack up the economy by basically starting another war and then funding it, and printing the money and circulating that through the system and creating jobs and. Uh, so we are have become a war-based society. Yeah. So I think it's it's just as simple as that, uh, Steve. I just think that uh, that people like those who are running the Federal Reserve are saying, "Do we? Is it about time? Don't we need another war?" And people like Donald Trump are uh, willing uh, to uh, put up with another war uh, in order to keep to stay to stay in office. Yeah. Uh, so. I, I, we simply just see it that way. We don't see any religious reason at all uh, for for Christians to think we need to destroy uh, uh, destroy uh, Iran any more than we need to destroy Iraq. I agree. No, I agree. The economics of war is uh, is core to U.S. foreign policy, no doubt about it. Along with resources, stealing resources too. Yeah. Um, I guess the question I have for you is. Nobody seems to be standing up for Palestine. Nobody does at all. I mean, we have small groups, patches all across the United States. I've been working with some out in Santa Rosa, California. But uh, nationwide, nobody seems to be standing by Palestine to support them 
and stop the, the genocide, which is actually happening there. What is suppressing that? What is suppressing other countries from standing, standing up and helping and supporting Palestine, Chuck? Well, it's, uh, it's the, the general propaganda machine that basically says the Middle East is the center of evil and uh, that uh, it needs to be corrected. And, and now uh, you hear Donald Trump himself talking about how evil Iran is. Uh, as far as we know, the Iranians haven't done anything to us. Uh, so, uh, again, uh, the, the, it is the target, the warring target of the, of the hour. And um, the reason the Palestinians are not protected is they don't have anything. Right. Uh, there, there's, there's not much land there. Uh, there's four or five million people, and, uh, and and Israel has become the center of focus of good and evil. So if we are, uh, if we're supporting good, that we're supporting Israel. Uh, evil is the Arab side with all the oil. Uh, it's, uh, it's it's Israel versus the oil. And uh, it's really that simple. It boils down to uh, this is the economics of the oil and uh, of the vast petroleum resources there. And uh, uh, we're, we're, we're supposed to go along with it. Yeah, well, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not going along with it. Um, I've got my questions here. I wrote a bunch of stuff out here. I just wanted to touch bases. I, I don't know if we're going to get to before a commercial break here. If you hear, hear the music in your ear, that's a commercial coming on there, Chuck. Let's let you know. I do want to touch on something I had no knowledge whatsoever, and I'm still going to have to research more, but the Schofield Reference Bible. And from its inception, creation, printing, first printing, second printing, and numerous printings, and you mentioned in your video the uh, vast number of footnotes growing more and more and more. Basically, going as they, as they go along, they just add more to the list of giving them more control and more power and more authorization. I found that very interesting. I, I knew nothing of the Schofield Bible, so if you can give us a little insight into that. Okay, I'll, I'll grab one if I can reach it. May, we have a break coming up here in a second, so go ahead and start, Chuck, and if you hear the music, we'll just All right. we'll, we'll pan out and come right back to you, okay? All right, the Schofield Bible basically has about um, 500 pages of text and 500 pages of footnotes, more or less. And uh, the, the footnotes basically... Um, lend uh, to the notion that oh. the ancient state of Israel is the same as the Israel of today. This is basically the focus of where it where it takes us. Yep. And, um, and Chuck, it, uh, Chuck, there's the music. We'll be right okay. back. Our special guest for our second hour here, Mr. Chuck Carlson of We Hold These Truths. Uh, Chuck, I'm just looking over my notes here. When was we were talking about the Schofield Reference Bible. When was it first created, first printing? When? Uh, the, there was an original one copyrighted in 1909. Okay, because I'm looking at the creation of Israel here and the, the timescape here and trying to figure, was it created after or before? Okay, got it. It was so created before, but then the later editions became much larger. Okay, and, so you're and, saying 500 pages, 500 footnotes, correct? Uh, pro- probably that's a wild guess, but that, lo- that looks about like it when you look at it. For instance... I'm going to read you one little passage that's used to justify the present-day state of Israel and, and is used by Christian followers of, of, of the Schofield Bible. Uh, and and there, are other, uh, there are many other versions of Christian Bibles that take on the same general tone as the Schofield Bible and have basically sprung off from it. Uh, so this isn't the only one used in Zionist churches by any means. But... Uh, in the book of Genesis in the 12th chapter is a little account of, that's given to us of the life of somebody called Abraham, who was called Abram at that time. And uh, the Lord spoke, I'll, I'll read you, I'll read you one passage and then I'll give you a little idea from the footnotes, how this has been distorted. Um, okay. Yeah, sure. Okay. Now uh, in chapter 12, and by the way, uh, in our video called The Tragedy and the Turning, uh, there's a good bit of this covered, so people can get a better idea by going to that. But uh, I'll, I'll do this briefly. Uh, now, the Lord said to Abram, uh, go out of your country and get away from your kindred and from your father's house 
unto a land that I will show you, and I will make thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and I will make thy name great, and uh, thou shalt be blessed, and I will bless those who bless you and curse those that curse you, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Now this happened, this, this, was, uh, this, were, this was recorded a long time ago. Um, and uh, it, it is the, the old, some of the oldest of the, of the text. Basically, God speaking to Abraham, supposedly. Um, now, the Schofield Reference Bible has come along and they've reinterpreted this. And he put it in simple English, and here's how they here's how, how they interpret it. God made an unconditional promise of blessing through Abram's seed to the nation of Israel to inherit a specific territory forever. So the interpretation of this is that this is not God talking to one man and telling him to go on a march somewhere and start a family. This is instead granting him a piece of territory that he he will inherit forever uh, in a place that hadn't been found yet. Um, and it goes on, there There was a promise of blessing unto those individuals and nation who blessed Abram's descendants and a curse laid upon those who persecute the Jews. So now Abram is being uh, uh, an Israelite called Abram, is, uh, in, is is being called a Jew, a term that came from Judah uh, that didn't exist at the time and hadn't been found yet. And um, it's then implied that this that this is something that affects that that is has to do with Jews today. And then down at the bottom of this long page of footnotes, it's uh, three quarters of a page long in fine print. There's a conclusion drawn here. And this is a promise to the Gentiles. I will bless them that bless thee. Uh, those who honor Israel will be blessed, and I will curse them that curse thee. Uh, this was a warning literally fulfilled in the history of Israel's persecution. It has invariably fared ill with people who have persecuted the Jew and well with those who protect him. And then the punchline, for a nation... Think about this. For a nation to commit the sin of anti-Semitism brings inevitable judgment. The future will still more remarkably prove this principle. So what that is basically telling us, that's being interpreted in the Christian Zionist churches. They're saying, if our country fails to bless the state of Israel, we will be cursed as a nation by God himself. This is the standard interpretation of, of those verses uh, that go back to this little phrase where God's talking to uh, one of his uh, followers and uh, uh, named Abraham. Now, uh, there are literally hundreds of examples of this throughout this book that have been interpreted more or less that way. And it goes on into the New Testament that was thousands of years later and uh, footnotes that in a, in a like manner. Uh, so uh, in the book of James, in the book of uh, books of uh, written by Paul, uh, the, these same ideas are put forth constantly. Chuck, you, you mentioned... Um... We can't continue on this pathway with the with the growing debt, the national debt, twenty two trillion dollars. Is that's actually probably a low ball number? I, I would assume it's much higher than that. But um, so basically, essentially, an, an economic collapse will be, pretty much wake up these people, the Krishna Zionist churches, to uh, affecting their livelihood, their, their quality of life, to change their their uh, their behavior, their political viewpoints. I would assume so. Is that what we're looking for now, pretty much, to uh, to change the behavior, the, the political viewpoint is an economic collapse? Well, I think that economic, if there's anything good about an economic collapse, it would be that people would reawaken. Mm-hmm. I, I got to tell you, what I fear is, is that uh, this, 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 you don't come down from a $22 trillion debt. Uh, it's just unimaginable. 
uh, without some agony and pain. So I don't see anything friendly and comfortable about it. But if there is any good that can come with it, yes, it will tend to wake up some Christian Zionists. But more important, I think, Steve, the, the, the regular folks that go to the mainline churches uh, that are not uh, among the 30 or 40 percent that are Christian Zionists, uh, I, I think this this will awaken them a lot faster uh, than than Christian Zionists. So I see that uh, that we could have a lot of people that would become very concerned and very interested and would listen to the kind of things we're talking about today. Right, right. And we're seeing that happening more and more. And I I, I think that this is one uh, cause to be a little optimistic is that, uh, that people can awaken and financial things do do that. Yeah. Way of causing that. Well, I think the Pentagon, uh, the war generals, that's their business. They want to con- keep us in continuous war. I don't think that I, be- I do believe they're going to try to kick off another war. I think we agree on that to offset an impending economic collapse. So if we if we have another war somewhere, maybe Iran or whoever, uh, that will definitely hold it off for a little while. But, um, you know, the money out of thin air, it's. Yes. It's got to. It's got to come somewhere. It's got no backing, so it's becoming yeah. worthless. Yeah. And I, I do believe that's the next ploy. That's why I saw in the news last last week they've been kicking the beating the war drums here, uh, Iranophobia they're calling it now. And uh, actually, interesting that the president of Iran had a large rally a couple of days ago, speaking to his people and telling them what the the West was planning on doing, getting there all prepared for uh, Iranophobia, basically. Um, they're going to make war on Iran some way, somehow. I don't know how, false flags or what. But uh, it seems to be the, the only way to stimulate an economy these days. I think that is part of uh, our uh, foreign policy is to is war is part of foreign policy. It's just, uh, Stephen, we're picking on little, smaller and smaller targets. We're coming down to where we're running out of big countries yes. uh, to attack. We have China and Russia out there uh, that uh, could be... Uh, could be uh, targets and are uh, there's there's open talk about China and Russia being uh, being uh, being enemies, uh, but uh, uh, the uh, uh, Iran is not a uh, is not a very big country in the in the in the uh, total uh, uh, size of uh, of nations. Um, the twenty two trillion dollars of debt. Is, is I, I saw a figure recently that that's equal to the gross national product of uh, of uh, Germany, Japan, and one other European country, and might have been France. Uh, that is, in other words, we're talking about numbers that are so staggering that it's hard to find a war big enough to actually uh, stimulate, further stimulate the, uh, the, the economy. So, uh, yes, I think that... Uh, Iran is a target, and I think it's something we need to work to try to prevent. Right. And uh, I think I think we're all better off facing the economic mu- music than we are to uh, to uh, to allow this to go to go on and get worse and get bigger. Right. You know, I I looked at uh, the U.S. leaving the INF, the missile treaty. There was a uh, ploy, basically, to stimulate the economy through the military-industrial complex. Uh, that seems to be the only industry really now that's taken off, and uh, I guess they look at the trickle-down effect of war or the business of making war a weaponry is uh, that will trickle down to uh, industry in, in general and that keep the keep the economy afloat. I, that's the only reason I can come by to see that why the United States left the INF. Yes, Russia left. We got, we got a, a space war probably coming on, or a space weapons war that could potentially happen. And now uh, we're just ramping up. We can have more weapons here and there, and they can have more weapons. We, we're going nowhere with the weapons, Chuck. We really are going nowhere. We're stockpiling. We're, uh, we're the threat of war all the time. And uh, now we're talking about putting missile bases here and there. And it's, it's like a never-ending cycle, Chuck, of continuous war. We do actions to provoke others, and they do actions to defend themselves, and we just keep this whole thing going Round and round, continuous war forever. I'm afraid that's. I, I'm afraid that is the Federal Reserve program. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's what they were created for. They were created to save England from Europe, right. uh, and uh, it's been carried on 
ever since. Um, and uh, uh, John F. Kennedy, of course, made a bold attempt uh, to try to recapture, try to take back the ground that was given away uh, with his move that started uh, in 1963, uh, five months before he was assassinated, uh, where where he caused uh, uh, silver certificates to be issued by the United States Treasury in competition with the Federal Reserve notes that were being issued down the street around the corner by the Federal Reserve Bank. Uh, this actually was an effort that uh, that he that he that he that he attempted, <clears throat> and uh, five months later he was dead. Um, it's a subject for another hour, but uh, the the Fed is a, a warring operation, and they're not afraid to make war against their own people. Right, Chuck. Tell us. Uh, we only got another ten minutes or so left. Give us give us an account. I mean, we heard you talking about what was going on, the attacks on Gaza City. There, um, personal experience that you were there in the middle of that, watching that. Um, that must have been. I, I, don't, I, I can't even put words with it. I know I was emotional listening to the the last part of that, to the description of the young woman talking about what life is daily, living in. Um, her area there are being bombed every night in ambulances and the rubble. Give us, give us a little account of your experience. What you, what did you feel when you saw all that? I mean, it, it kind of captured everything you've been talking about. Now you get to witness it. Give us a little, little insight to that. It was before I knew a lot of these things. And, um, and I was there because of a Baptist. Uh, he was a Southern Baptist. I'd been a Southern Baptist deacon. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Southern Baptists are, dispensational in their thinking they are they tend to be in other words they tend to influence they tend to be christian zionist in their influence this is the southern baptist convention mm-hmm. um, my, many of my friends have come out of that um, i heard about um, what was going on in gaza from this pastor who had come back after spending some years there missioning in gaza and he talked to a southern baptist church a friend of mine uh, was at present when he made this talk. The church had a hard time listening to him because um, they've been trained to uh, feel that the Arabs were uh, the, the guilty ones and uh, the, the vicious ones and the Israelis were the good guys. Uh, I heard about it, and I uh, arranged a trip to Gaza um, uh, through uh, various friends uh, Got some tips as to how to get in because it's not easy to get in, and you need a little story to get in. and uh, And I went there and walked in by myself. And uh, four days later, uh, I didn't know there was a missile raid scheduled overhead, but uh, but I I heard this helicopters hoovering over more or less over my building, probably within fifteen hundred feet or uh, or a little more, maybe two thousand feet from my building. And uh, just uh, hoovering there and uh, starting to fire uh, missiles. And uh, before they were through, they fired 40-some missiles. And the next day, I walked in the funeral procession and watched the Muslim people bury four of their dead, and uh, supposedly 40 were in the hospital. I don't know how many of the 40 eventually died. Um, the feeling I had was was unbelief. I, I just stood on my roof and watched these Apache helicopters made in the USA, uh, firing Hellfire missiles made in the USA, uh, at a target probably about a mile away, and it was just a flash and boom show. Uh, they were the, the choppers were so close that you could have easily hit one with a rifle if you had a rifle, um, even in the dark probably, uh, and uh, uh, at the flashes and so on. Uh, no one fired anything back. They just hoovered there and continued to fire missiles. And uh, the squadron came and went. It was a whole squadron of F-16s, or pardon me, uh, not F-35. They were Apache helicopters. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, they came and went, uh, reloaded, and came back with four more. I, just, I think they carry four each. And uh, they would come back and, until they'd fired 
probably about uh, 75 or 100 of these missiles. Uh, my feeling was I really just can't imagine this going on. It's just beyond reality. No one told me about this. And by the way, the the raid didn't make the newspapers. I didn't hear, no one back home saw any message about the raid. It, it was as though it never happened. Yeah. Uh, so this didn't go on every day in Gaza. Uh, the people, uh, but the people uh, weren't surprised when, when it happened. Uh, they say, well, here they are again. And uh, so this is, this is in 2002, in March of 2002, uh, and it's still going on today. Uh, sadly, it's going on today. And uh, uh, we wrote an article recently about uh, the wounding, the purposeful wounding mm-hmm. of Palestinians. Uh, we, it's on our webpage, and in it I theorized. I said, um, having been a rifleman and uh, on a post-rifle team where I fired competitively, uh, and, and I know what you can do with a rifle. Uh, I know that the uh, Israelis lying down on top of a, a, a of a mound of dirt and looking down on people 100 yards away can hit any part of the body they aim at. And suddenly, after killing about 150 or 200 Palestinians in these uh, demonstra- against these demonst- demonstrations of hungry people, uh, the Israelis have started to only wound them. Uh, some die occasionally accidentally, but essentially what's happening is they're being shot in the lower limbs. So they have a knee shot out or they have a leg shot off, and uh, they don't show up in the in the dead column, so the American people don't hear about it. Yeah. Uh, wounded 6,000 people so far, supposedly. Uh, this is a deliberate uh, effort to wound people yeah. and essentially to maim them. Uh, because if you're, you're if you're shot in the knee with an expanding rifle bullet, it's pretty likely you're going to lose your leg. Yeah, it is. We actually had an article on the website talking about all that, and actually there was a video, and they were actually congratulating each other and high fives for uh, for wounding a, a child like that. Yeah, it's it's terrible. It's uh-huh. terrible. Um, you know, I look at the 1948 map of Israel when it was created and um, to where we are today, Chuck, and we're looking at a sliver of land for Palestine. I theorize if if I theorize in the next five ten years, maybe in five years, Israel will seize completely all the land from Palestine if we if we don't stop them. I don't know what the pe- people in Gaza. I can't imagine them, them still being alive. Mm-hmm. Uh, there there are two almost two million people there. Yeah, and there there's not room to farm. There, it's it's basically wall to wall city. Tent open spaces. I have, and they're not allowed to go out and fish in their own ocean. The Israelis parole the Mediterranean, and if someone goes offshore more than a half a mile or a mile, they're going to get accosted by a, some kind of a boat, Israeli boat. So the whole effort is basically to uh, starve and destroy them and maim them until the rest of the world takes them away. I guess. I guess we're expected to. Uh, I, I, we're expected to invite them a home or something to uh, give them a place to go because they have no place to go. Yeah. Well, uh, that's what the United States does. They make a lot of refugees out of countries they destroy, and yeah, we wonder why they're coming here now. Yeah. I, I see. I see that to be a, a possibility there, Chuck. I really do. Yeah. Um, well, we only got a few minutes left. I want to direct people to your website, please. It's this, this is a great website, people. W H T T whtt.org org please visit the website chuck's got some great articles on there he's got that nice video also the documentary it's about a half an hour long the tragedy and the turning part one a very very important uh, documentary to witness and please send that to others because uh today chuck you didn't get any calls i think it's because you were kind of the lecturer you're with the, the professor today normally i have quite a few calls but i think when we're in this topic this area here this this topic matter. A lot of people are just kind of, well, I don't know much about that. So I, a student also today, learned quite a bit. I had nothing, no knowledge of the Schofield Reference Bible. I'm going to do more research on that. Um, this has just been a great day, a, a great interview. I appreciate you coming on the show. You are welcome back anytime you want to come back here. Um, I'll be happy to come back, and I, I'd like to say that 
uh, our, uh, the film is a lot better film than it is an audio. Mm-hmm. And it's much more instructive if you look at it because the exhibits are, are, are helpful. So the, the tragedy and turning film is uh, quite a good teaching tool about how Christian Zionism actually works. And then I don't know how many uh, articles we've written about the subject, but we have a category you can find on our website called Christian Zionism. Mm-hmm. And if you go there and look, you'll find uh, lots of articles others wrote as well as some I wrote that explain a lot better than we can in, 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 uh, in just a few minutes um, uh, about how Christian Zionism works. And I'd like to say that in, in, in closing, unless anybody gets the wrong impression, uh, my best friends have come out of Christian Zionism. The most helpful people we know used to be in Christian Zionist churches and have, have, have seen their way out of this. Um, it's, a, it's a very deceived crowd. Uh, they've been misled. They misled to lead themselves, uh, but they are good people. And uh, they can change. We just simply see the mainline churches changing so much more quickly because they don't have the hang-ups that have been taught to them by having this stuff pounded into them Sunday after Sunday, month after month, year after year. Uh, but uh, we, we are hopeful, and uh, we welcome others to come to the side and certainly call, to call me at, uh, if, if you have serious questions. I appreciate that. Chuck, you've been great. Thank you so much for the education. I, I feel a lot wiser. But uh, yeah, one last question, if I can get it in real quick. How many chapters, do you have chapters in every state? No, we don't have chapters. Uh, we, we, but we welcome people who want to start uh, efforts. And by the way, one of the things we have done, which I don't think was mentioned, is that we've held vigils and pickets in front of Christian Zionist churches and other institutions uh, uh, on about 120 or 130 occasions all over the country. So we encourage uh, little groups to get together, four or five people, and uh, we'll tell them how to make signs and what to say and what to do, and we'll come out and, come out and join you if you want to do it. Go to the big Christian Zionist churches, stand out in front of them and say, no more wars for Israel. I love it. Uh, choose life, not war. Uh and, and these, these, are, these, these subjects and, and what we've said to people at these institutions all over the country are uh, visible on our website. We have uh, examples of our signs that we use and other teaching mechanisms that we've used. And uh, we'll also help if people want to start a movement in Chicago or someplace like that. Uh, we'll, we'll find somebody to come out and help out. That sounds great. Thank you very much, Chuck. Appreciate it.